0: All right. Okay. Three, two, one. Okay, hey, everyone. Yes, it's true. It's the Little Brown School and Library podcast. I don't know if I'm going to have a cold open this time because Lori Keller and I have been having a lot of fun, and then the UPS man showed up, and we had to delete everything (laughs) that happened before the UPS man showed up. But we're going to do the Little Brown School and Library podcast. Hey, Lori. How are you?
1: Hey, Victoria. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be chatting with you.
0: Through the power of the interwebs and uh, Apple computers, uh, Lori and I are meeting uh, inside a teeny tiny box that's called a laptop and an iPad. So we're going to give this thing a whirl and we're going to have fun with it because if you know the work of Lori Keller, you know that it is about fun. Okay, I didn't mention this the first time we recorded the intro, but I really love Lori Keller's website because when you click on About Me all it is is this really great picture of Lori and stuff that she likes sitting next to her on this bench. I didn't see any text. All you need to know about Lori is in that one image. Humor, absurdity, lightheartedness, just fun. Just, you know, random fun, and which I appreciate. But you know Lori from books like Scrambled States of America, Arnie the Donut, Potato Pants, several others, one of which is an otter book. I can't get into that. I watch five different Japanese otter channels, so we cannot talk about that. Uh, Lori <laughs> has published for a number of years with uh, Macmillan, but she came over to LBYR with her editor, Christy Ottaviano. Waving at Christy Ottaviano. Nobody can see us do that, but we're going to do it anyway. I used to be a philosophy major there is a whole thing of a tree falls in the woods and it doesn't you know, nobody's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. Yes, but no one cares anyway because they're off playing golf. But that's a, a tale for another time. Uh Lori's book with LBYR, her first of many, many books with LBYR is Wake Me Up in Twenty Coconuts. There's many types of humor in the world. Some of it is cringe humor. Think Seinfeld. Some of it is potty humor. Think the toddler section <laughs> at your local bookstore. Some of it is word play and visual play, and some of it is just the theater of the absurd. And as a person who lives in tiny spaces in New York, this book, "Wake Me Up in Twenty Coconuts," speaks to my soul. Just the absurdity of modern life and trying to be helpful. I'm going to read the opening line just to give you guys a little bit of a taste here. Excuse me, to see, to see. My alarm clock just broke. Would you wake me up in twenty coconuts, please? Absa coconutly to be. All right. I'm charmed. You're charmed. We're all charmed together. Welcome,
1: <laughs> Lori. <laughs> Thank you, Victoria.
0: I am a big fan of this book, clearly, because yes, the theater of the absurd that is the modern life, and you are known. <laughs> For doing these funny and absurdist books frequently with nonfictional elements or informational elements, I should say, there's information in the humor, you know, truth yeah. in the laugh rather than the tear. Um, can you talk to us actually about the work that goes into being funny? Because you do funny books, but it's not all fun and games writing and creating these things. What what goes into making a funny book?
1: That's true. I do have a whole lot of fun making them, but it is so frustrating sometimes trying to pull it all together. The first book I ever made, The Scrambled States of America, it really, I kid you not, it seemed to write itself. I had been wanting to write a book. I got inspired by collecting books when I worked at Hallmark, and I knew that one day that I wanted to try one myself. The idea popped into my head as I was falling asleep one night, some little states with arms and legs and faces popped into my head, and it really just unfolded. I don't know if I had it in the back of my brain for all the years I've been on the planet and it just came out. But the rest of my experiences writing have not been that way. So it sort of set me up for a little bit of disappointment as to how bookmaking would unfold for me. But at this point in my life, I know that the frustration for me is just part of it. I've talked to enough other authors and and heard their you know, experiences writing too, to know that it's not really all that unusual. So it helps me power through when I get frustrated. But I think for me, once I get my idea for something, the trickiest part for me is finding the voice of it. And mm. many times I will write over and over and over. Like with Arnie the Donut, I have just stacks of, of paper that I wrote over and over and I read through them sometimes and I would write the same thing over and over and cross it out. And it's just part of the process, but it isn't until I find the right voice. And it sometimes it's kind of, that's kind of the frustrating part for me is that I can't make it happen. Sometimes it might just be a certain mood I have to be in mm. or some little thing that somebody says, or I hear something that just reminds me to be more absurd it's like that absurdness that earnest absurdness is what does it for me and unfortunately i can't always get there when i want it to and so that's where the frustration for me comes in because i write it over and over but eventually once i get that thing then it starts to come together but sometimes it takes a long time
0: that is such a really interesting, and I I really love this answer because I think it, it reads it speaks to what is the kid appeal of these books. And you saying earnest absurdness really I think hits the nail on the head. The tone of books that you have, and that one of the reasons kids well, really I like appreciate them.
1: Appreciate that. And those are the things that I love the best. Um, my favorite books have a sense of that. My favorite. Movies like anything—a a great example of something that really inspires me would be—are familiar with Christopher Guest. You know, <laughs> waiting for, that's like my favorite movie, or Steve Martin, the jerk. Just that earnest absurdness, but there's a sweetness to it as well. So it's just that balance, and it, it's just something that it takes me a long time to get to, and I hope I hope each book has. The feeling of that so that's what I strive for
0: I think that's particularly apparent in 20 coconuts because um, <laughs> it really is you know it's an it's a silly request uh that 2c or 2b makes but 2c really takes it seriously and is really wanting to be helpful and and to engage and to be yes to be helpful to their neighbor it, it goes from there right yeah
1: well I mean he's the Neighborhood Know-It-All, and right when you open up the book, it's kind of part of the copyright title page, I guess, or that copyright dedication page. All these questions, it's kind of overwhelming when you open it up, but there's all these word bubbles that I was setting him up as the Neighborhood Know-It-All because he always has the answer to everything. He loves being the Neighborhood Know-It-All. He loves helping people out. And then all of a sudden, he's presented with this request that he doesn't know the answer to. But at first, he doesn't even realize he doesn't know. He just responds automatically in, you know, in a way that worked well with her question, abs to coconutly to be. And then he realizes he doesn't know what she's talking about, and he can't handle it. And that's when we find out that he comes from this long line of know-it-alls, and he's the first one that has ever said that phrase i don't know so he just doesn't know how to handle it and that's when things go awry for him
0: but he wants to help he so wants to help i just love
1: that oh but he just cannot fathom that he does not know how to help her and doesn't want to admit it that's where the problem comes in
0: Ah, okay, so I see, I see as we get farther into the book, the sort of letting go of the anxiety of perfection, the expectation of perfection, maybe the humility that can come with admitting one doesn't know.
1: Exactly. I mean, think about it. If he had just admitted it, I wouldn't have had a book. Um, He could have solved the whole (laughs) problem right there. (laughs) So yeah, it was his embarrassment and I don't know about maybe even shame at the fact that he couldn't help his neighbor out this time because that's his identity. He is the know-it-all. He likes to be the helpful one for everybody. And this time it wasn't going to happen.
0: Well, thinking about your first book, Scrambled States, and it just came to you overnight, you refer to the creative process not being as, um, let
1: us say, free-flowing, Sure. Uh,
0: Where did this book begin?
1: Well, there's three of my books that have literally popped into my head. The first one was The Scrambled States of America. It came to me when I was falling asleep. Little states with arms and legs and faces Mm -hmm. popped into my head. Another one that popped into my head was Potato Pants. I was working on an Arnie the Donut chapter book. And I was working on some of the art for the Arnie the Donut chapter book and a little image popped into my head of a potato. Actually, it was a cucumber at first and ended up changing it to a potato. Popped into my head with this character chatting with a snooty boutique owner wanting pants. And I stopped everything for a couple of hours and wrote down the dialogue between this cucumber slash potato uh, and the snooty boutique owner Because it just made me laugh and I could just see it. I could just see these characters and I knew that I had to, at some point, make a book. But it wasn't going to happen for a while because I had other stuff on my plate. So I jotted it down. Okay, then this was probably about four or five years ago. I have a long stairway where I live outside and it goes down this hill, dune, and I use it for exercise. I walk up and down it for exercise. Well, I was in the midst of doing that. And it's exhausting while I do it. I don't know if that had anything to do with this, but I, it just this absurd phrase popped into my head while I was doing that. Wake me up in 20 coconuts. I mean, I have no idea where it came from. The difference with this one from the other two that popped into my head was that right away... I kind of had an idea what those might be about. I mean, scrambled states, little states with arms and legs and faces, they were all going to switch places. I mean, that came to me right away. Same with potato pants. I mean, it took me a while to figure out the story and all the logistics and everything, but it was going to be about potato wanted pants and all the potatoes in town. This one, I had zero, zero idea what it was going to be. And so I went in all sorts of directions as to what it might be. And I worked on it little by little over these past four or five years, maybe even a little bit longer. But it just took many directions. And finally, it settled in um, on this little contained neighborhood within this apartment building. I used to live in New York City, too. for as long as you have. I lived there for four years, but it it was enough to... I mean, I loved living there. I absolutely loved it. I knew I wouldn't, but I knew I wouldn't live there forever because I just wanted to be back closer to family. But it was all about the apartment living lifestyle. And I used to call and order food from this restaurant across the street, and they knew me by my apartment number. And when I would call and tell my apartment number... (laughs) that's how they knew me. And, and then I lived in a big apartment building and often you would see people and you might not know their name, but you knew generally where they lived and on which floor or whatever. So it just seemed like the thing to do, even though it seemed like quite a risk for me to have the characters call each other by their apartment numbers You know, some kids might not get that, but I thought, well, maybe this would be a little introduction to apartment living life. And certainly an adult could explain what's going on, but I was willing to take that risk as long as you guys were too. And I was happy that you were. So they all call each other by their apartment numbers because they might not really know each other all that well, but they have to deal with each other and they have to relate to each other in different ways at different times, you know. So that's where that came from. And little by little, as it evolved with this apartment life, I kind of was imagining what some other personalities might be. And it just kind of evolved. This one, when, when she asked him to wake her up in 20 coconuts, you know, what does it mean? I don't even know what it means. So I thought, well, maybe the main character isn't going to know what it means. He's going to be a know-it-all. And that's where the problem lies. Or... As I like to say.
0: Or hijinks ensue. Oh, well, I like that better. Or That's
1: definitely what happened.
0: Shenanigans abound.
1: <laughs> oh, much better.
0: Well, we're Much all workshopping work. this together, yes. Um, so <laughs> one of the things I think is, you know, it's interesting you're talking about trying to figure out what the story is and the coming up with the hook of that, and I think you glanced a little bit off it thinking about the characters, and as you were working with the characters, you've also, you also illustrate your books, and they are visually humorous as well. There's a lot of wordplay as well as wacky conversations, but, you know, your initial thinking, for example... Uh, Scrambled states of America's little states with uh, faces and arms and legs, because why not? Thinking about the coconuts, there's a uh, a joyfulness and a playfulness in the, as well as a, a bit of a wackiness in the illustrations here that contribute to the overall fun, earnest fun of the book. Did you have, I'm always intrigued when people are illustrators as well as authors of a project, did creating the pictures change how you thought about the words? Or did refining the words, and it could be both, change how you thought about the pictures?
1: Well, that's a really good question. And with each book I make, it kind of, they're so hand in hand, the process. I mean, when I'm writing, I'm always drawing little characters Mm -hmm. and little doodles. And then when I'm writing, or when I'm doing the artwork, that's when I usually come up with most of the little jokes and asides, that happen in my books. Some of my books have many more of the jokes and the sides than others, but I'm constantly changing things. I change I am editing, I am writing, I am drawing until they take it away from me. As little Brown just <laughs> by- <laughs> I mean, and I will make changes. If they hadn't taken it away from me, I would be writing and redrawing and revising until the very last second I don't know why that is but yeah they definitely the writing and the illustrating makes things change along the way especially when I get to drawing and a character's expression or a stance the way I draw it might spark something that's like oh, oh oh oh, no there's something else happening here or a little thing that they want to say it, it it's one of the most exciting things for me still making books because it's so unexpected for me just by drawing some little thing that I that I thought I was drawing this and all of a sudden it turns into this because of the way a line looks or, or an expression in. I love that part of it. Um, In Arnie the Donut, there was so much of that. That book is full of collage too. And one little thing that happened with that, which kind of speaks to what you just asked me about, but it's sort of representative of how I work overall. It's very collagey. There was one point where Mr. Bing is bringing Arnie the Donut home in a bag. He doesn't understand why he can't be out of the bag looking at all the sites. Kind of a little foreshadowing of him becoming a dog at the end of the book. But anyway, the the text said, the ride to Mr. Bing's apartment was a little bumpy. So I decided when I was making the art, oh, I'll have some signs that say that it's bumpy. But then as I started to write those, you know, street signs are always very serious. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a little fun with the signs. And so I started to write things like bumps ahead, lumps and bumps ahead. Bumpy humps ahead, lumpy, and I started going off on this. And then I thought, okay, well, there's all these rhyming lumps, bumps, humps words. I'm gonna go crazy in the illustration and and fill in or just have all sorts of things that rhyme with that. So there was an ump, you know, telling somebody to j- get out of the lake, and the, just it went on and on. There was a sign to the dump, and there was a rabbit jumping. and, sh- and then my favorite one was this lady up in the corner and I called her the grump on the stump and she was yelling at um, the at the at all the words, saying, get those words off of my lawn. And so that happened, you know, just by the illustration changing what went on. And it's stuff that doesn't have to be read in the story if you don't want to, but it's there for anybody that wants to take the time to read it. It's not part of the story but as I did the drawing it kind of changed what was happening and things like that happen all the time. Sort of like random
0: nosy neighbor trophies wandering around the book or the sock what happens with the socks?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That random nosy neighbor I knew I wanted to have a nosy neighbor in there because that's just so cliche and whatever I just thought it would be funny and then this book for some reason I wanted it to have a real slapstick vaudeville feel even though it's got elements of more modern day things like where he's talking on the phone and it's supposed to be like a siri sort of thing but he calls her phony p-h-o-n-e-y that's sounds. that's how the word phony is spelled too right that like fake i didn't mean it to be like that but it's supposed to be like siri um anyway but i wanted it to have a real slapstick vaudeville sort of feel and so that's where this chicken You know, pops out of his ear after he has a a sock in his ear. That's why he thinks he heard her wrong because he had a sock in his ear and then a chicken popped out. And yeah, that was kind of random with the writing. I go with random things a lot, not everything, but I like that part of the writing because I figure, you know, it can go a million ways. I have to decide on something, and so when random things cross my path, I just kind of look at it like maybe it was supposed to be there, and I just kind of go with what's in front of me and and go from there, and it changes a million times, but I'm very inspired by random things that cross my path. If you don't mind me saying real quickly, with potato pants, that was a huge part of that story developing, I had the idea, but then the story took me a long time to write, but then I was getting very frustrated, and one day I was making lunch in the kitchen, and it occurred to me how the story could work, finally. This was months after trying to get it together. And I got so excited, I started doing the robot. I don't know how to do the robot, but it just it just started all around in the kitchen. I started robotting, so I... Grabbed my lunch, ran upstairs to write down before I forgot what could happen. And the first words in the story are Potato is excited. And I thought, well, I'm excited because I thought of how the story could work. I started doing the robot. So I'm going to make Potato doing the robot. And then he told me that he calls it the pobot. Very random. I mean, I don't know if. I'm supposed to do that as, you know, a writer, but it's what I go with and it's something that excites me. So it it often works, it works its way into the stories that I write.
0: You know, the universe unfolds its pattern in many shapes and colors. (laughs) And I feel like the absurdity of this, I mean, look, it is an almost universal experience uh well i'll say every woman i know their brain breaks a little bit trying to get pants (laughs) and the inherent absurdity of pant shopping i really responded (laughs) to that and finally with the pants i just was like of course potato wants pants and of course potato cannot (laughs) find pants and of course potato is psychologically broken by the quest for pants because how could pants be so hard pants are not hard why are pants hard pants are not hard Why, why, what, no, no, no. And just like thinking about this poor 2C trying to like, okay, I didn't understand because there's a sock in my ear. Not questioning why there is a sock and a chicken in my ear, but you know that there's this, this is happening. And but I still don't understand. I am supposed to know it's who I am, it's who I am. What if I'm not who I am? What if I'm somebody else? What if I'm I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the absurdity of modern life leading to, you know, one could turn out to be a banker or a Dadaist. Who knows? Who knows? And that leads me to my last question, because there is so much humor and absurdity and children are not thinking really. In the pattern lines adults necessarily think of, they still have a lot of diagonality in their brains going on there. You do a huge amount of school visits every year, and people should have laurie come to their school. Also, waving hi at you, Travis Jonker, waving hi at you, because I know laurie's going to be at his school very soon. I just sent him a finished copy of the book. <laughs> but I know that you make a lot of school visits every year and you do get a lot of response from your primary audience which is kids so have you learned something from those audiences over the years that have made you a better book creator
1: i really have it's been such a great ride as far as starting out just the arc of my comfort level doing school visits Mm because i was one i kid you not if i had known that public speaking was any part of making books I would have run the other way I was so terrified for months I mean like early on for a number of years I would be just beside myself thinking about talking in front of kids but kids would make me feel so comfortable and once I got there I would be fine and we would just have a ball so I have learned so much from them I, like I mentioned earlier I don't have kids so I learn a lot from them just being around them just to see what inspires them what they're into how they relate to each other I love when I'm able to have a lunch with kids and just sit and watch the dynamics it's so inspiring to me but I guess as far as like technical things that I might have learned a big thing that I've learned is with a slight difference in age group from, obviously, pre-K, kindergarten, and somewhat in first grade, then to second and third grade. A lot of my books have a lot of wordplay, as we discussed. The young ones don't understand that so much. So they'll get something different out of the book, which I'm happy that they can. I was worried that they wouldn't be able to get something out of some of my books, even though there's a lot of wordplay it's just different. And so it's fun for me to see what kids respond to. There's so many jokes in some, in a lot of them, it's fun to hear like, Oh, my favorite joke was this when I thought, you know, kids might really respond to this over here. And then nobody mentions that until down the road. And then finally somebody likes that joke. And there's just so much it's packed. So it's just fun to hear what they like. But I think the sweet spot for me with my writing is kind of second and third grade, but I've been having fun trying to make some books that are geared slightly more toward the younger set. I did a picture book about Arnie the Donut called Hello, Arnie, and it's Arnie talking to the reader, and it doesn't have all the extra sides in it. and So it's just been fun for me. I don't want to change what I do too much to try to cater to any One group, but I have learned a lot about where kids are. Like kindergartners take things so literally, and by the time they get to later first grade, early second grade, they're liking wordplay a Mm. bit more. Kindergartners also love absurdness, you know, wackiness, but not so much the wordplay because they're just not there yet with their thing and, and that. So that's been a huge helped me, but I think the thing that really has helped me the most with doing school visits is just kind of helping me grow with uh, more confidence as a writer. And that's one thing that I try to express when I chat with aspiring writers and people who are just starting out, is if I could go back, I would just try to be so confident in in what I do. That's what they want to see. Every publisher's want to see, and I think that's what audiences want to see. They want to see who you are as a writer, and the more you can play that up and have confidence in that as you write, I think those are the things that are the most successful. There's a couple books that I did over the years. I won't say it. I probably shouldn't, but I I tried tried to make it a little bit more universally appealing, I guess. And... And they didn't do so well. And the ones that have done the best are the ones where, you know, you just are having fun. You just trust yourself. And that's the things that I hope to pass on to other writers as they're beginning.
0: I love that. Because, you know, kids, they're not dumb.
1: They're very smart. They they're
0: very smart. Not. They don't think like we do, yeah. but that's, you know, they're they're pretty darn smart.
1: They are so sophisticated, and especially nowadays when there's so much that they have available to be entertained by, you can't phone it in.
0: And a good dose of earnest absurdity never hurt anyone. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining (laughs) us today for the
1: podcast. Thank you for having me, Victoria. It's been so fun to chat with you.
0: Gentle listeners out there in the virtual universe, beyond the confines of this laptop and iPad connection that we've got going on here, Wake Me Up in 20 Coconuts, written and illustrated by Lori Keller, should be on your shelf very soon. Don't sleep on this book, people. Don't even take a cat nap. You need to get it. I suggest you read every (laughs) single word and word bubble of it from the dedication, which is truly a masterwork. To the afternote brought to you by Brains, you will not want <laughs> to miss it. Let me just say that. Thank you all for joining us. We hope to have you with us again soon for our next episode of the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. Bye now.